it up. Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, centered from Reality Podcast. It is December 28th. Took a little hiatus, a little, little hiatus, because, you know, it's Christmas time, the holidays. And, yeah, I got busy. I had things to do, did some long runs, saw some family. Had Siri. Sorry, Siri is just getting annoying. But anyways, yeah, just lots of friends and family up and long runs. And, yeah, I just needed a little bit of a break, but... We're back. It's almost 2024, which I'm still trying to just get my head around, but I've ranted about that enough, so we will move on. But today might be a little bit shorter episode. Life's just been really busy the last few days, but there's just so much again going on, as usual, that I figured it is a good idea to at least put out some content here today. First and foremost, though, sticking in the Christmas mood, even though we're kind of moving past Christmas here, Trump is really... um, put out a lovely and caring message to just tell everyone how he's changed and loves America and if he's reelected, it's all going to be great. Of course he didn't say that. Anyways, he put out a Merry Christmas to all truth and uh, <laughs> it's great. I'm just going to read it. Trump did this, I'm, I'm assuming on the toilet at 2 a.m. because it's his usual Twitter or I guess X time. But anyways, he said... Merry Christmas to all, including crooked Joe Biden's only hope, deranged Jack Smith. He, he then went on to say, Included are the world leaders, both good and bad, but none of which are as evil and sick as the thugs we have inside of our country, who with their open borders, inflation, Afghanistan surrender, green new scam, high taxes, no energy independence, woke military... Russia, Ukraine, Israel, Iran, all-electric car lunacy, and so much more are looking to destroy our once great USA. May they rot in hell. Again, Merry Christmas. Oh, man, isn't that a nice nice um, telling tale, whatever you want to say, for the holidays? Again, I, I, I mean, some of these are clever. The Green News Scam... The woke military, electric car lunacy. I mean, I don't think it's a Green New scam. I have questions about the protectionism of the Green New Deal, which I've done podcasts on before. But I do think the Green New Deal, or at least elements of it, are going to be important going down the road. Climate change is not a hoax. He only, by the way, he only capitalized a few things, like full caps of a few things, which was may they rot in hell. Again, Merry Christmas and inflation and thugs. I don't know, but... The one thing I don't like is that he says that there's a lot of bad people in the world, but none of them are as bad as the thugs that run our own country. Again, basically equating the biggest enemy we have being Americans, fellow Americans. Not a big fan of that, guys. But anyways, he has changed a lot because, I mean, here's here's a year ago what he said on, on X as well. He said, Merry Christmas to everyone, including the radical left Marxists that are trying to destroy our country, the Federal Bureau of Investigation that is literally, or sorry, is illegally coercing and paying social and lamestream media to push for a mentally disabled Democrat over the brilliant clairvoyant and USA loving Donald J. Trump. And of course, the U.S. Department of Injustice, which appointed a special prosecutor who together with his wife and family hates Trump in quotes more than any other person on earth. Love to all. So, Look, I mean, this one's also deranged, but it's it's actually insane that within a year, it's, it's definitely gotten a little bit worse. In this one, he says love to all. And then if you flash forward to the rotten hell one, he, he just says that there's thugs leading our country and blah, blah, blah. I don't know why he put his name Trump in quotes. 
because it's his official name. It's not like this is some nickname or something he goes by. His name is Trump. I mean, he is Donald J. Trump. I mean, that's a fact. And also, he's a brilliant, clairvoyant, and USA-loving person, of course. So, this guy is a lot. This guy is definitely a lot. And, um, yeah, anyways, what I did want to talk about for the rest of the show is Nikki Haley's comments involving, well, her, I guess her lack of comments linking the Civil War to slavery. Was it a gotcha question, or was she, or is she afraid of Trump's base? We'll talk about that in a moment. I also want to talk about maybe an alternative way that the United States could get money to Ukraine and, and our Western allies as well, given that the Republican Party is going to become useless. Um, and once I think, well, if Trump gets back into power, then I think all aid to Ukraine is completely drying up. So there's an interesting idea of using the seized assets that we took from Putin to do it. And there's some interesting theories on that that we'll get into later. But first, let's talk about Nikki Haley. So I guess first and foremost, I should say that she was surging and there were some polls that had her pretty damn close to Trump in New Hampshire, like neck and neck. I guess that is what happens when you have the governor, Sununu, endorse you. But she also is showing me time and time again why... She's really not that great of a candidate, and if she has a chance and she starts exploding, then she also starts imploding, and this is one of those examples, and it also shows me that she's kind of weak, and I just don't see her as being a good leader, and there's even some people that say, right now, she's kind of speaking out against Trump, but Trump really hasn't been attacking her like he's attacking Ron DeSantis, for example. Trump has attacked her on gas taxes, which is kind of like... 2004 debates and a lot of people are speculating that maybe if he's smart enough does he still try to get Nikki Haley I mean it'd be good for suburban women and that's a whole dangerous scenario because she would really be a green light for independents and moderates to go to Trump because they would say well okay she's seen as kind of establishment she said some kind of normal things if she is willing to be Trump's VP and he's picking her that would kind of, I think, again, unify the MAGA side and the establishment, more neoconservative side, and it would be a green light, I think, for some independents to think it's okay to vote for Trump. Now, again, I, I think it's not the most likely that Trump picks Nikki Haley, but it is just interesting to see that he hasn't been attacking her like he's attacking some of the others. And she is... The reason I bring this up is because this video I'm going to play is is pretty telling because... She basically is unwilling or afraid to just talk about the elephant in the room that slavery, American slavery, and just the slave trade was the main thing that led to the Civil War. And she gets into the whole how you want your government to look, states' rights, what our representation is like, what should states be able to do, what does the economy look like, and all of that is centered on slavery. But she just gets kind of coy with the, rep I don't know, I'll, I'll just play it. It's really quite annoying, but I think it shows how she still is trying to hold on to that MAGA base because she's afraid that they'll attack her if she, you know, says it's slavery. She doesn't want to be called woke, all this stuff. It's, it's a mess. The cause of the United States Civil War. Well, don't come with an easy question or anything. I mean, I think the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run, the freedoms and what people could and couldn't do. What do you think the cause of the Civil War was? I'm sorry? 
I'm not running for president. I, 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 I wanted to see uh, your thing on the cause of the civil war. I mean, I think it always comes down to the role of government and what the rights of the people are. And we, I will always stand by the fact that I think government was intended to secure the rights and freedoms of the people. It was never meant to be all things to all people. Government doesn't need to tell you how to live your life. They don't need to tell you what you can and can't do. They don't need to be a part of your life. They need to make sure that you have freedom. We need to have capitalism. We need to have economic freedom. We need to make sure that we do all things so that individuals have the liberties so that they can have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to do or be anything they want to be without government getting in the way. Thank you. And in, in the year 2023, it's astonishing to me that you answer that question without mentioning the word slavery. What do you want me to say about slavery? No, um, uh, you've answered my question. Thank you. <sighs> what do you want me to say about slavery? Well, look, I mean, I guess if, okay, if you really wanted to be fair to her, when she was governor of South Carolina... She is the one that took down the Confederate, or made the Confederate flag no longer South Carolina's state flag, and they took that down. She recognized its troubled past. So that's, that's definitely a good thing. You can also say that she did come out right away later after this debacle and say that, of course, slavery, or the Civil War was mainly due to slavery. So she has responded. She hasn't doubled down. So maybe you can just think that this guy was trying to get her to do that. He was trying to have a gotcha moment. He was, he, you know, this is in New Hampshire where this happened. They're trying to get her and all the candidates to have issues going into this. Maybe you could say that. But then again, as the guy says at the end of that clip I played, it, it would be kind of easy just to say, you know, slavery was a main cause of it. And where it gets really complicated for me or just, I guess, confusing to me, is that her answer could kind of go into both sides of this. Like, you have the you have the kind of conspiratorial, Confederate-supporting, like, nor war of northern aggression type of people. And I'm not saying that she's totally defending that, but the way she answers could kind of appeal to those people because she's she talks about how it's about how much power do you want the government to have? Does it protect the rights of the individuals? She keeps it so vague that you could be one of these people who says that the, the North started it and was infringing on the South. What she says could apply to that. But then at the same time, she's talking about everyone having the, having the right to exist and their rights protected. Then you could also say, well, she's saying that that the war was about protecting the rights of the slaves. And then also there's the third one where she also could be like that, that college Republican kid in your like freshman politics 101 class in college who would just want to argue that the war was about states' rights. And so I don't want to I don't I don't want to say this but I'm going to is that this is almost like the good people on both sides type of rhetoric it's different but it's that same kind of like vague language because you don't want to really piss off any sides of a base so you're just speaking in word salads and this is truly one of I think her worst answers I've heard because She's she's not openly saying well slavery was a was important here it was the main cause of this but then she's also talking about human rights which could be could we take it in a myriad of different directions here and I don't like that whatsoever and it's just such a milk toast answer that pretty much anyone can take what they want from it and again I think this is because she is so afraid of the MAGA base because oh I think it was in the last week. Tucker Carlson's been rallying against her because she put out a tweet in 2020 
after George Floyd was killed, saying there will be retribution for people like this. And, and she basically just said what happened to George Floyd was bad. And now, like, Tucker and that whole, like, online kind of red-pilled MAGA right, they're all basically saying that she's some, like, BLM activist and stuff. So I think she understands that if she tries to talk too much about racial politics, they're just going to call her woke or a rhino or a communist or whatever they do. And so, unfortunately, she's not being a leader. She's not leading by example. She's not doing the tough fight. She is just kind of kowtowing to it and just giving word salads that mean nothing and show me that that she really would probably be a quite weak, weak candidate, to be completely honest. And I've seen the Glenn Greenwald types, for example, and others kind of in that uh, kind of contrarian center, new media center, and they're saying that the media isn't covering this enough or freaking out as much, say, if Donald Trump did the same thing because they want Nikki Haley to beat Trump so badly that they're willing to kind of defend her. And I don't know if that's the case because when I was first reading this, reading about this this morning, it was everywhere. CNN was covering it, Fox, MSNBC, PBS, The Atlantic, podcasts I listened to, YouTube shows like The Rising and The Hill was talking about this like... I didn't see this not being covered. I don't think that's the case. To me, it also seems to me maybe people aren't reacting to it like they would have in 2015 because we're all just kind of numbed to this and we're numb to politicians just trying to appease the red meat of some of the base. And I think some people just might not be that surprised anymore. And also other people are saying like she was in New Hampshire when she did this. New Hampshire's a a fairly more libertarian, socially liberal part of the Republican world. Like, would she really alienate voters by saying this in New Hampshire? And I think the thing here is that it was filmed. It went viral. People are talking about it. This wasn't for the New Hampshire voters. This was just for the entire MAGA apparatus, right? And I mean, I guess if you wanted to go Occam's Razor, though, you could just say this was a gotcha question and she effed up. And she apologized later and let's move on. And maybe you could say that's true. But this is just one of the ones where you just really question why she said it. And back in my college days, there were there was always that one kind of contrarian kid in the political science or public policy classes or whatever else that would want to talk about how the Civil War was about the role of government or states' rights or whether the country wanted limited federal government or protecting capitalism and they will sometimes argue even that it was about the North trying to, you know, stifle capitalism in the South. And I guess the one thing that always just drives me completely crazy about this argument, <laughs> even if this, even if you want to admit that it was about states' rights, what was the state right <laughs> that they were arguing over? It was slavery. Right? <laughs> It was slavery. It was because of slavery. And even if you want to argue it was about states' rights, they were arguing about the control and suffering of living human beings. And I, I also was, was um, watching some of Rising on the Hill. Brianna Joy Taylor, <laughs> Joy Taylor, Brianna Taylor Joy, uh, she irritates me quite a lot, but I thought she brought up a good point, actually, because she notes that this argument about personal freedom and individual rights that Nikki Haley brings up um, gets annoying for some people, especially like African-Americans, because you, you have to wonder like what freedoms is Nikki Haley talking about here? And she's talking about 
this, this was about the role of government and the size of government, but the enslaved had no freedoms. They had no say in the role of government. And it just seems to me that there is some form of cognitive dissonance going on on the right. And I think it's just because they don't want to be called woke by the MAGA base. I, I do think it's as simple as that. And, you know, just on a side note, people keep wondering why uh, Chris Christie hasn't dropped out yet. And I'm probably one of them in a sense. But maybe he's just staying in because he sees through Nikki Haley like some of us are starting to see through that she could not be a viable alternative to this. There's no way she could actually fight and do well here when she just doesn't really like she just can't stand up like Chris Christie's doing horribly and he's hated by the MAGA base and a lot of Republicans now. But at least he's just willing to say the quiet part out loud and he's willing to call out Trump like at least he has his thing. I just don't know what Nikki Haley's thing is anymore, except try to dance a very thin line between not totally pissing off the MAGA base and not totally pissing off like the more neoconservative Bush era base. And I don't think it's working for her. I don't think it's working for her. And we're also just seeing that her moral compass isn't great either. You know, and speaking of candidates, I think just the biggest question mark to me as we're going into 2024 is like, when does Ron DeSantis drop out? I'm going to guess right after Iowa, maybe a day or two after Iowa. And he makes Governor Reynolds, who endorsed him, look like a fool. He looks like a fool. But he can finally take off his high heel boots and go back to whatever the hell he wants to do, picking fights with the Florida Board of Education and Disney and the gay community and the trans community and history teachers he can go back to what he's good at and by the way i guess protecting the everglades too which is one of the better things he did that you notice he does not talk about anymore anyways moving on i want to talk for a bit about an interesting paper i read from renew democracy initiative and it is called the legal practical and moral case for transferring russia's sovereign assets to ukraine it's by lawrence tribe Raymond Tolentino, Kate Harris, Jackson, Erpenbach, and Jeremy Leuven. And we'll get into that in a moment. But first, just to kind of paint a picture of, I think, why this is relevant now. This article is a few months old, actually, but I think it, I think it works out pretty well right now. So we have to remember that just this week, the White House has approved pretty much the last amount of U.S. military aid to, Euro, uh, to Ukraine. And it's worth about 195 million euros. million. And the BBC notes here in quotes, the latest package includes air defense, artillery, and small arms ammunition and anti-tank weapons. But here's the catch, guys. This is the last funding available due to what we're seeing happen in Congress right now. As I've talked about in numerous episodes, Congress has broadly supported aid to Ukraine But that is shifting as a lot of the MAGA base and some independents and Democrats as well are kind of souring on it. And any further agreement is being held up by Republicans who want tougher security measures on the U.S.-Mexico border. As I've talked about before, the House bill that they actually want the Senate to pass It is ideological symbolism and completely just rewriting U.S. asylum laws, which sounds like it would be pretty much impossible to find consensus on. And also, it would just require a lot of state resources that I don't think would actually be useful for this. And so I've always said, 
House Republicans are trying to find an excuse to not help Ukraine because there is a lot of ideological connection to the Viktor Orbans in Hungary and Vladimir Putin's in in uh, in Russia, based on kind of what I would call the illiberal government model, which is seizing institutions, the media, fighting culture wars against your opponents, and kind of going back to a Christian nationalism. And there are people, I mean, Mike Johnson, current Speaker of the House, he has openly talked about this. This is why you see part of Schedule F and, and then the Heritage Project's um, um, 2025 project where they are actually meeting with Hungarian officials who are in Viktor Orban's government who have pretty much created a groundwork for how a democratic government can shift. And I think the problem here is that there are actually just there's a certain amount of MAGA Republicans who want to not fund Ukraine, but they don't want to blatantly say why. So they're holding it up based on this crazy border deal. And so anyways, what I mean to say here is that after Ukraine gets this money that the White House has approved, we're probably not going to see Ukraine get any more money. And that's especially so after the 2024 election, if the worst case scenario happens and um, Donald Trump is back into power. But getting now to the Renew Democracy Initiative, it talks about how basically the U.S. could find a different way to do this. And basically they issued a comprehensive report back in September, which is which talks about how transferring Russia's assets to Ukraine is currently possible and there would not need to be any changes in U.S. law. And this report was authored by Lawrence Tribe, who is a constitutional scholar, and it also goes up with Kaplan, the law firm, and Heckler and Fink, which is an LLP. And basically, they talk about the Emergency Economic Powers Act, which I'm going to call the IEEA, sorry, IEEPA, for the rest of this. And they basically say President Biden would be able to basically use Russian assets that have already been seized and send them back to Ukraine. And this would be a way to get Ukraine aid while going around Congress, which I have my own issues with, but we'll get to the case of this first. So the article talks a lot about Section B of the IEEPA, and I was reading into section subsection B, sorry, and basically it explicitly gives the president the power to block and or direct and compel the transfer of any right, power, or privilege with respect to Russia's property. And basically, this goes along with international law or settled principles of international law because basically Russia's actions do constitute violations of international law, the Geneva Convention, plausible justification, and um, grave and ongoing violations of just attacks on innocent civilians. And so basically, the idea is that the United States and its allies are able to respond to Russia's actions and basically force Russia to comply with international legal norms. And they would do this by transferring Russian assets to Ukraine. And Renewed Democracy Initiative writes here in quotes, Thus, the Emergency Economic Powers Act authorizes the president to direct and compel the conveyance of Russian sovereign assets to Ukraine. 
The report removes any reasonable doubt about the consistency of such transfer with precedent and historical practice and shows that it would be fully consonant with the United States Constitution and all applicable congressional statutes. And I I think basically the idea here is you're it's not like you're just going to go start taking taking over Russian assets that are inside of Russia, but it would be, it would be more like looking at ones that have already been seized, especially in the international markets. And I think kind of the moral argument they're making here, too, is that the world can't basically say that Russia can violate Ukraine's sovereignty while then also saying its own sovereignty is an invaluable shield. And we have to know that the United States and its allies have already crossed this so-called Rubicon in this case because we've frozen Russian assets, we've, we've sanctioned Russian banks, we have seized yachts and property from Russian oligarchs living abroad. It's basically saying we've already done this in some ways. So why don't we look at assets that we can actually get back to Ukraine? And, and now I'm sure some of you are already thinking like, Alex, couldn't this just set a bad precedent? Like you're basically finding a legal argument for transferring assets from one country to another. And the country that has the assets is not for it. And I was happy to say that I read this whole like 95-page report, and it actually answers all my concerns fairly well. It writes here, First, Russia's conduct towards Ukraine is fortunately exceedingly rare, if not unique in the modern international system. It writes later, Second, any effort by a country to similarly compensate another another state's assets would have to satisfy all the requirements of that country's domestic laws. Third, seizure of those assets by that country would have to further satisfy all requirements of international law. And fourth, countries can expressly subject their confiscation efforts to any number of additional pragmatic limitations that would cabinet the precedent in the future. And this are basically this whole briefing, I think somewhere on page like 15, it outlines how basically seizing and giving Ukraine the frozen Russian assets it meets international law, but it also meets what you would say as Ukrainians, sorry, the Ukraine's domestic laws being infringed on. But then also you look at the humanitarian side of it, where there are talks of genocide, human rights violations, etc. But now getting into the specifics of how this would happen, basically I talked about the IEEPA, right, and subsection B. And basically the president obviously would have to declare a national emergency and according to the documents, in quotes, unusual and extraordinary threat to the national security, foreign policy, or economy of the United States, which, origin- which originates in whole or substantial part outside the United States. And this, to me, is where it gets a bit tricky, because you guys know I support Ukraine, and I think we have to stop Putin at all costs. But does this directly impact the safety of the United States? That one I'm a little less sure about. But anyways, basically, they would need to argue that, declare a national emergency. And and back to the RDI briefing, page 7, writes here in quotes, Subsection B authorizes the president to block and or direct the transfer of any right, power, or privilege with respect to Russia's property. Congress did not define the statutory term transfer, so its meaning must be derived by using the traditional tools of statutory interpretation. And at least the RDI finds that the Constitution would not prohibit 
this transfer because it talks about how Russia as a foreign actor lacks both due process and takings rights under the Fifth Amendment. And it also talks about how domestic statutes stand in the way of the proposed transfer. And specifically, the Foreign uh, Sovereign Immunities Act doesn't, excuse me, doesn't apply because the transfer involves purely executive action and not the courts. Which, again, I can understand why people would be questioning of that precedent. But then also the APA, which is something I did a lot in my public policy days, um, the Administrative Procedure Act, is satisfied to allow for the transfer because it's not just a plausible interpretation of the statute, but it's also the only reading that's supported by the IEEPA's plain text. So would this be kind of a legal battle, a constitutional battle? Probably it goes to different levels of our American courts, definitely. But I think it's an interesting one that we are seeing kind of the centrist academia try to find alternatives for potentially a Congress that is no longer willing to fund Ukraine. Now, my my side criticism of this would be, because I actually probably agree that we should do this. I personally do. But I do think the power of a democracy is that the people do have somewhat of a say in our foreign policy. And I don't know if we again want to find legal theories to give the president more executive power when it is Congress at the end of the day, that should have the purse and should be involved in what we do with international conflicts. So that would be my thoughts on that. But let me know what you think. But either way, I know that 2024 is going to be rough for Ukraine, obviously going to be rough in other parts of the world like Sudan and Yemen and Israel and Gaza. But for now, I'm just thinking about this and hoping to, I've been in communication with someone who is kind of a foreign policy legal expert hopefully going to be coming on soon. So we can talk more about some of these theories. So anyways, have a great rest of your night. Went a little bit longer than expected. I think we're almost at the normal time. So anyways, take care. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean. You guys know the rest. Busy day tomorrow. I got to get out of here. So adios.